great testimony in baptism. You celebrate that again. And what a great, I love. There's nothing like a praying mom and dad who uh, wants to see their kids come to faith in Christ. And we celebrate that this morning. Well, listen, uh, today we are in our series called Led by Presence, where we're learning what it looks like to be a people who are led by uh, the Spirit of God, filled with His Spirit, led by His Spirit as a church, and seeing how this is God's great story uh, from Genesis Revelation. Uh, we as His people, <clears throat> He is our God dwelling uh, in our midst. And um, uh, this morning, I want to talk about what it looks like for us to be a church who is on fire because of the filling of the Holy Spirit, to be a church that is on fire for the glory of God because we've been filled with His Spirit. In 2011, <clears throat> we had these wildfires that took place all over East Texas. Anybody remember those? Uh, serious drought, I mean, serious drought. And um, I remember that day, I was up here at the church, had some meetings that afternoon, and, and I started getting texts that people weren't gonna be able to come. And before I knew it, I had to cancel the meeting. Didn't really know why I was canceling the meeting, just people were unable to come. Come to find out later, they were all kind of caught up in, in this fire that was going on. And, and I remember walking out of the church, and immediately when I stepped outside, uh, I just smelled smoke. The atmosphere was so filled with smoke that I knew there was a fire somewhere and it was probably a big fire. And so I immediately came out and I began to see the haze of smoke. And so I got in my truck and circled the property, made sure there was none of our buildings that were on fire. Then I realized where the direction that the smoke was coming from. And I remember it just, no one had to tell me that there was this massive fire. The moment I stepped outside and could see the atmosphere and smell, I knew there was a fire and it was a big fire. And so I spent the rest of the day uh, volunteering with a couple of deacons and, and helping people get out of their homes. And but it was interesting that even though I had no clue there was a fire, I knew there was a fire. Even though no one informed me, I yet I knew because the evidence of the fire was apparent for everyone. If you went outside that day, you knew something was different. And I say that to say this. I really believe that as a church, when we understand that through the power of the Holy Spirit, God wants to set our charts, hearts and set our church on fire to burn for his glory. Here's what I truly believe, that we will not have to advertise to the world that we are filled with his spirit. Amen. That the evidence of the fire of the spirit will be known by everybody. In fact, uh, Leonard Ravenhill says this, he's a great um, author and, and, and preacher of old. I encourage you to read a book if you wanna read a book on prayer called Why Revival Tarries. But here's what he says in that book. He says, you never have to advertise a fire. Everyone comes running when there's a fire. He says, likewise, if your church is on fire, you will not have to advertise it. The community will already know it. And this morning, this is what I wanna talk about today. What would it look like for us to become a church that is so filled with the spirit that we are on fire, individually and then corporately together, so that our community knows there's something different that's happening with this body of believers. And this morning, we're gonna jump into the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, this is exactly what you see is a church on fire. From the beginning of Acts to the end of Acts, you see this, this fire spreading all over the known world. If I could give you one summary of the book of Acts, it would be simply this. It would be God's people filled with God's presence who were on fire for God's mission. God's people filled with God's presence, his spirit, who are on fire for God's mission. And you see God turn the world upside down, not because of programs or gimmicks or buildings or all kinds of things that we trust in today. They turn the world on its head because they had the filling of the Holy Spirit. 
which is what we desperately need today. By the way, just so you know, we are living in the book of Acts. We are living in Acts chapter 29 right now. And so the church's mission is still continuing and the same power of the church then is the same power of the church today. But somewhere along the way, we have lost Holy Spirit fire and we need desperately to regain it. Let me give you a couple of things about the Holy Spirit before we jump in. I wanna make sure we get this. This is not a sermon before the sermon, but these are some truths you have to get before I get into the sermon so that we're not misunderstanding what we're talking about today. Here's the the first thing that I want you to see as we jump in and talk about the Holy Spirit this morning. And the the first is this, look up here on the screen. I want you to see first of all that the, the Holy Spirit is the third person of the Trinity. I'm not teaching on the doctrine this morning. I just wanna give you some doctrinal truth so that you know what we're talking about when we talk about the Holy Spirit. So who is the Holy Spirit? First of all, he's a person. He's the third person of the Trinity. And we know that God exists three persons in one, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So we gotta see this. That, and the reason I'm, I'm emphasizing this is that we want to see the personhood of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is not a force that we tap into. It's not like Star Wars. We're not trying to use the force, Luke. The Holy Spirit is a person. Let me show you some things about the personhood of the Holy Spirit that we find in the scripture. If you go to the next slide, it'll help me out here. All right, the personhood of the Holy Spirit in scripture, he has an intellect. He has emotions. He has a will. He can be lied to. He prays for us. He communicates his thoughts. He is referred to with personal pronouns, he, him, and I. This is what we see, that the Holy Spirit is a definitive person. You got the Father, who's a person, the Son, who's a person, and the Holy Spirit, who is a person. And we gotta see this because if you think that the Holy Spirit is just some impression or some mystical force that you're trying to tap into, what'll happen is, number one, We'll miss the point. The Holy Spirit is not a force you tap into. He's a person that you build a relationship with. He, he knows you and wants you to know him. The Holy Spirit is, is, a, is a shared leadership in our life. So when we say Jesus is Lord, listen, you can also say that the Holy Spirit is to be Lord of your life. Does that make sense? He's a person. He's co-equal, co-existent, and co-eternal with both the Father and the Son as a definitive person. And, and listen, when you understand he's a person and not a force, you'll recognize that he's not some force that you're trying to grab a hold of so you can use it for your will. He's rather a person who wants to grab a hold of you so that you can be used for his will. Amen. And this is important. Here's the second thing I want us to see about the Holy Spirit. The second is this, is that today we're gonna talk about the filling of the Holy Spirit And I want you to know that there is a difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the filling of the Spirit. I believe that every Christian is indwelt with the Holy Spirit. I believe that because the Bible teaches that. That at salvation, if you have trusted in Christ, here's what you need to know. You have been given the Holy Spirit. He, He dwells inside of you. If you are a Christian, you have the Spirit. If you don't have the Spirit, you're not a Christian. He has been given to every single person. Here is what Peter is gonna say in Luke chapter number two, verse 38. Listen to this. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sin. And you, listen to this, will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Peter, in essence, says, when you trust in Christ as Lord and Savior, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The apostle Paul says this in Ephesians chapter one, verse 13. In him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, 
the gospel of your salvation and believed in him. So this is, this is salvation. When you trusted in Christ as your Lord and Savior, he says you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. So you were sealed. Your salvation is sealed in the moment that you give your life to Jesus Christ. So we, we, we all, if you're in Christ, you've been given the Holy Spirit. If you want more information about this, you can go back a couple of weeks in August. Uh, Nathan Leno, great pastor, preached here and preached on the sealing and the filling of the Holy Spirit, helping us understand both. And what I'm gonna do this morning is build upon the filling of the Holy Spirit. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the ongoing process of our lives being filled with God's presence and power through the Holy Spirit to supernaturally live the life he's called us to live. That's what it means to be filled. It's an ongoing occurrence. It's, it happens multiple times in the life of believers, an ongoing thing that should be happening in our lives where we're filled more and more and more with supernatural power to do the things that he has called us to do as his people. This is what we're gonna look at this uh, morning. So grab your Bibles if you would, and let's jump into this. Acts chapter one is where we're gonna be. Now, as you're turning there, I just want you to see something. So we talk about the indwelling of the Spirit or the sealing of the Spirit, same thing, and then the filling of the Spirit, something different, the ongoing process. When you look at the book of Acts, Acts chapter one and two, what you see is both of these things happening in the church simultaneously. So this is the initial indwelling of the Spirit that God is giving us on the day of Pentecost. And in this initial outpouring of the Holy Spirit or the imparting of the Spirit to the church for the very first time, you also see the church for the first time filled with the Spirit. If you're with me, nod your head. So these are two things that are happening simultaneously. We're gonna focus on the filling of the Spirit in this moment. So Acts chapter two, uh, we're gonna start reading in your Bibles in, I'm sorry, Acts chapter one rather, start reading in verse number four. If you're there, say, I'm there. Listen to this. And while staying with them, this is Jesus, he ordered them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. It's important to see that what's happening in this verse is that Jesus has already given them the Great Commission. They already know the mission is to go and take this message of death, burial, resurrection, and our salvation being found only in him and go take it to the world. He's already been given this, they have already been given this mission. But it's interesting here that Jesus is talking to his disciples. Now, these are men and women who walked with Jesus for three years. These are men and women who sat at his feet and heard his teaching. They saw his miracles. These are men and women who were able not only to see his miracles, but join him in his miraculous ministry. These were men and women who saw him crucified on Friday, who saw him resurrect on uh, Sunday, who walked with him, check this out, for 40 days after his resurrection. Now here's the point of all of that. If there were any group of people ready to go and pursue the mission of God, it was these people. If there was anybody more positioned with knowledge and information and confidence to go and charge hell with the mission of God, it was these individuals. And yet, Jesus looks at them and says, you know what you're supposed to do, but don't go. First, you need to wait. Now, here is the question. Why in the world would these believers be told to wait and not go? Why would they need to wait for the filling of the Holy Spirit? 
In verse eight, he gives us the answer. Look what he says here. <clears throat> Acts chapter one, verse eight. He says, but you will receive, listen to this word, power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This idea of Holy Spirit coming upon you is the idea of being filled with the Spirit. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and all of Samaria to the ends of the earth. The reason that he tells them they need to wait, the reason he tells them, listen, you, you know what to do, but you can't go do it is because Jesus understood that they lacked the power needed to accomplish the mission that he was sending them on. Jesus, in essence, is saying, you need something more than education. You need something more than knowledge. You need something more than just experiences with Jesus. You need something more than just your familiarity with the things that I've taught and the things that I've done. You need a supernatural power to live the life I'm calling you to live. Therefore, you are in desperate need of the filling of the Holy Spirit because that's the only place you're gonna get the power that you need. This is what he's telling them. Verse eight, I love verse eight because there's a word used here. Look what he says here. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. This word power um, in the original language is the word dunamis. It's where we get our English word dynamite. Um, and the idea here is not explosive, destructive power, but rather explosive, transformative power. So when you think of dynamite, you might think of something, yeah, I can tear things up, but listen, the, the, the power of the Holy Spirit transforms things. He has explosive power. It's exponential power. In fact, it's not just natural power, it's supernatural power. And here's what I mean. If you, this, this word power is used in the book of Acts 10 times. In, in almost every single, every single time, not almost, it is, using, it is used to describe the supernatural miraculous power of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church to accomplish the mission of God every time. It's not natural power, it is supernatural power. In fact, if you look over in Acts chapter number eight, verse 13, this same word power in the Greek language is translated with another English word that helps us understand the nature of this power. Look at Acts chapter eight, verse 13. It says, and seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. The word miracles here is the word dunamis. It's the same word that is translated in Acts 1.8 as power. And here is the point. The point is, is that this power that Jesus is saying that they desperately need is not a natural power. It is a miraculous power. It is a supernatural power. It is a power that goes far beyond our talents, our giftings, our natural dispositions, our understandings, or whatever depth of insight that we might think we have. It goes far beyond that. And it comes from a divine gift through the indwelling of the Holy Spirit. This is the power that Jesus is saying we need. So here is truth number one. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the truth that you need to see from this. Listen to this. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the source of supernatural power for our life. The filling of the Holy Spirit is the source of supernatural power for our life. But one of the problems that we're having in modern Christianity today is that we are trying to live a life that was meant to be supernatural without supernatural power. That far too many believers are trying to live what is supposed to be uh, extraordinary life of supernatural power with an ordinary effort and, and ordinary power. 
Like God has called us to live a life that, is not, that does not look like the rest of the world, but rather a life that looks drastically different because we are living a life of supernatural power that has been given to us through the filling of the Holy Spirit. You see, Jesus has not redeemed us to live ordinary lives, but extraordinary lives. We, we, God has, has saved us so that we could see the, the kingdom of darkness penetrated right now in our lifetime. So that we might see men and women uh, brought from death to life through salvation. That we might see God heal people miraculously. Amen. That we might see people far from God redeemed and saved and brought near to him through the transforming work of the Holy Spirit. This is what he has saved us for. To see his power moving through our lives to do what we cannot do in and of ourselves. Like, I just, I just believe that God still does miracles. I just believe that God still wants to move in supernatural ways. I believe that God wants to use you, not in your natural giftings, but to use you through the power of his spirit to see brothers and sisters and children and aunts and uncles and moms and dads and coworkers and neighbors who are dead in their sin raised to life in Christ because he's used you, not with your power, but with his and the reason we're not seeing more miracles in our life, the reason we're not seeing the hand of God moving in supernatural ways through our lives, the reason we're not seeing more radical conversions, the reason we're not seeing more broken marriages healed, and the reason we're not seeing addictions broken and, and people far from God by, by hundreds and thousands coming to faith in Christ in our community is because we're trying to live this life without the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit. And we need him. We're desperate for him. Listen, and this is what you see in the life of Jesus. So there's a doctrinal belief we have about Jesus. We believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man. Not 50-50. He is 100% God. He is the God-man and 100% man. But I think one of the things that we miss about the earthly ministry of Jesus is that oftentimes we think that what Jesus did all of these miracles because he's the son of God. But you need to know that the earthly ministry of Jesus, he did not live as the son of God. He lived as a son of man. Now, he did not cease to be divine. He just did not operate within his divine nature. Go back and read Philippians chapter two. He set that aside so that he might live as the son of man. And as the son of man, when you see the power of Jesus's ministry, what you're seeing is this is what it looks like when someone is living in the fullness of the Holy Spirit's power. Luke is the author of the book of Acts. And the book of Acts, I told you, is the story of the church and how the Holy Spirit filled God's people to go live on God's mission. Well, Luke also wrote the Gospel of Luke. And one of the similarities of the Gospel of Luke is that Luke is telling the story of Jesus. Acts is telling the story of the church. Well, Luke, he gives emphasis on, check this out, the supernatural filling of the Holy Spirit that Jesus lived in. And then in his sequel to the book of Luke, the book of Acts, he is then showing how his church, Jesus' church, now lives the same life that Jesus lived. Look what happens in Luke chapter number three. This is how Luke describes the very beginning of Jesus' ministry. He says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were open, and look at this, and the Holy Spirit descended on him. This is the, the very beginning of Jesus's ministry. 
And the way that Luke describes the very beginning of Jesus' ministry is the Holy Spirit descending. This is a picture of Jesus being filled with the Holy Spirit in this moment. And then immediately what he does is he leaves this place and he goes to the wilderness where he's gonna be tempted and he's gonna fast, he's gonna pray for 40 days. Look at how Luke describes this. Luke chapter four, verse one. He says, and Jesus, check this out, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was, listen to this, led by the Spirit. Why? Because when you're full of the Spirit, what are you gonna be? You're gonna be led by the Spirit. So he's led by the Spirit in the wilderness um, for 40 days, being tempted by the devil and ate nothing during those days. And when they had ended, he was hungry. Now, so he spends that time full of the Spirit, led by the Spirit, praying fasting, seeking the Lord. Now look at verse 14. This is where Jesus' ministry officially starts. Look what happens in verse 14. And Jesus returned from the wilderness in the power of the Spirit to Galilee and report about him went throughout the entire region. Now notice this. Jesus' ministry started with what? The, the descending of the Holy Spirit on him, just like we see in the book of Acts. And this filling of the Holy Spirit, this leadership of the Holy Spirit, and then the power of the Holy Spirit. And what Luke is trying to show us in the life of Christ is that this is where the power of life in Christ is found. If you wanna know what it looks like to follow Jesus, just look at Jesus. Filled with the Holy Spirit, he did what he did. And now in the book of Acts, his people filled with the Spirit go and do the works that Jesus did. Do you remember when Jesus was meeting with his disciples and he says, listen, Hey, like greater things than you've seen me do, you're gonna do. Yeah. I, I read that verse and I'm like, really? Like, what does he mean by greater works than me you will do? Here's what I think he means. Jesus is saying, look, I'm doing this work on earth because the spirit fills me. He empowers me to do these things. But there's a day coming when it's not just gonna be me on earth filled with the spirit, the Spirit is gonna come on my church and my people and all of you are gonna be filled with the same Spirit that I have been filled. Therefore, what you're seeing me do is gonna be multiplied because it's gonna be possible because all of you are gonna have what I have, which is the filling of the Holy Spirit. If the church wants to be used in a powerful way, we need the power of the Holy Spirit. And you say, what does this look like? I want you to see what, this, what happens here. The supernatural power of Jesus in the life of his church. Look what happens in Acts chapter two, verse one. I want you to see the, the, the supernatural at work. He says, and when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and suddenly there came from heaven the sound of like a mighty rushing wind and it filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. Now remember in, in our other parts of the series, how the fire led the people through the wilderness. Yeah. So what you're seeing is, is that in this moment, the Holy Spirit's coming in, by means of fire to show them that the same presence that led the people through the wilderness is now gonna dwell inside the people of God. Amen. They are becoming the temple of the Holy Spirit in this moment. And here's what he says next. It says this, it says, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound of a mighty rushing wind and filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. So everybody, listen to this, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began, now listen to this next phrase. This is where our Baptists, we're gonna get uncomfortable for a few minutes. We need to be uncomfortable. 
And he says, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterances. Now, don't ignore that last part. And here's why. What you see here in this moment, when they're filled with the Spirit, there is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit that evidences that the Spirit is there. Why don't you sit that in there for a minute? There is a supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit that evidences the Spirit is there. Now listen to me. What did he give them? He gave them the gift of, of languages, the gift of tongues in this moment. Now it's not, in this particular passage, this is not describing unintelligible utterances or gibberish. He's not talking about a prayer language here. Specifically, the Greek word here is a word that means languages. And we know it means languages because that's the word that is used and that's the way the story is described. When these Galileans who did not know the other languages of the people around them at this particular moment, there are people from all over the nations gathered in Jerusalem and God supernaturally manifested that the Spirit had filled them by giving these Galileans, many of which were uneducated, the ability to speak in other languages that they had not studied. This is supernatural manifestation, is it not? And here's, here's I wanna make sure you hear me what I'm saying. I'm not saying that the gift of tongues is the evidence of the Holy Spirit. But what I will say is, is that supernatural abilities and giftings will be manifested when we are walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. There will be supernatural work that he does in us and through us when we're walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the God has not changed and the Holy Spirit has not changed. And what we're seeing, this is what it looks like when he comes upon us. And listen, but it's always gonna be for whatever his purposes are. You see, oftentimes when we see the, the supernatural manifestation of the Holy Spirit, uh, we as Baptists uh, will always wanna excuse the, 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 the tongues here and go, Oh, I don't think it means what you think it, we think it means. No, it means what it says. And then the, the person who's hyper charismatic will go, well, then everybody needs to be doing this. And what we do is we focus on what they did. And what's more important than what they did was how they did it and why they did it. See, what's most important is how they did it. How did they speak in these unknown tongues? It's because the Holy Spirit empowered them to do it as he saw fit. It was his will and it was his desire and it was his power. They were not doing this because they went to some foreign language class. They were not doing this because they decided to do this. They did this because there was a supernatural impartation of power that they did not have and it manifested itself in their language. That's how they did it. Why did they do it? So that the mission of God would be advanced. See, this is why God imparts supernatural power. Whatever his purposes are for us at certain seasons of life, if we will surrender and submit to the filling of the Holy Spirit, what God will give us in those moments, he will give us supernatural power to do whatever it is he has for us in those moments that we need to do them. In this particular moment, there are all these languages, all these people coming who did not speak all the same language. And so what does God do? He manifests this gifting to them so that as they go and proclaim the mighty works of God, what are the mighty works of God that they're proclaiming? The death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. All of these people now hear in their own language the gospel. The power of the Holy Spirit, we're gonna see this in a minute. The power of the Holy Spirit is imparted to us so that we might live the life that God's called us to live and to advance his mission, not for our personal benefit, our glory. 
It's always about his mission and it's always about his work. And this is what you see here. This manifestation of power that was given to them. And now the greatest manifestation of power is not in the gift of tongues that we see here, although that gets all the focus. The, the most powerful expression or manifestation of the power of the Spirit is what happens in verse 37. Look what it says there. It says, and now when they heard this, the crowds heard Peter preach the gospel. Now listen to this. And they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? You see, why is this the most powerful manifestation of the presence of the Holy Spirit? It's because Peter and these disciples are preaching in the very streets that 50 days earlier, Jesus walked through carrying a cross on his way to crucifixion. These men and women that were there, many of them saw the bloody body of Jesus hang on the cross and die. Many of them were a part of the crucifixion. And now Peter is preaching that he's not dead, but he's alive and calling them to salvation. And when Peter preached, it says they were cut to the heart. That means that the conviction of the Holy Spirit fell on their hearts and made their hearts understand that they desperately needed Jesus in their life. And this did not happen because of the eloquence of Peter. This did not happen because of the education of Peter. This did not happen because he used some cool illustration or he had some lights in, in this great building. He, he did this. They did this because there was the power of the Holy Spirit at work in Peter's life in a supernatural way. And what happened is, is that God raised dead men to life because of the message of the gospel was proclaimed through the power of the Spirit. Amen. And here's what I'm convinced of, church. I'm convinced that we're not seeing miracles in our life. We're not seeing spiritual strongholds broken. We're not seeing more people radically saved, not because God has lost its power, but because we are not walking in the power of the fullness of the Holy Spirit. We are so married to our methods and our programs and our traditions and what we do and putting God in some theological box that we're afraid of what happens when he moves in his way in our life. And we will never see revival in our life, in our homes, in our church, in our state, and in our nation until we understand we need Holy Spirit power. Amen. And apart from it, we can't have what God wants for us. Amen. So how do we get it? Where do we experience it? Here's what we see in the scriptures here. Go back to chapter one, if you would. Remember, Jesus tells the disciples, don't go, but what? Wait, Right? So what are they supposed to do while they're waiting? Let's just see what happens in Acts chapter one, verse 14. Now, all of these with one accord were devoting themselves to prayer. Devoting themselves to prayer. Together with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus and his brothers. So what did they do? When they waited, Jesus says, don't go, wait. Why? Because the Holy Spirit is gonna come upon you and you need this supernatural power. So what do they do in anticipation for this gift of the Holy Spirit, they prayed. It specifically says they devoted themselves to prayer. This word means to be consistent or continual. It's in the present tense in the original language. It means that they stayed in this posture of prayer. Now I want you to notice something just about the timing of this. So Jesus tells them, go wait, he ascends. Now flip over to Acts chapter two, verse one. I want you to see the intensity of this prayer. And when the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. Now notice this, Acts chapter one, verse 14, they were all together in one place, right? And what were they doing there? They were praying, waiting and praying, waiting and praying, 
waiting and praying. Now I want you to notice it says, and then when the day of Pentecost arrived, where were they? They were still there. Now why is that significant? Let me give you a timeline here that might help you. Jesus was crucified on Passover. <clears throat> Jesus died on Passover. It tells us in the stories that Jesus spent around 40 days with his disciples after his resurrection. So Jesus ascends on around the 40th day after his resurrection, after his death and resurrection. And it says specifically here, he tells them to go and wait. So they go and wait and they pray. And then it says, but on the day of Pentecost, which is what? Pentecost occurs 50 days after Passover. Say, so what does that have to do with anything? This was a 10-day prayer meeting. Jesus says, go and wait and pray for the Holy Spirit. So what do they do? They go and they wait and they pray. Not one hour, not two hours, not three hours, not 12 hours, not 24 hours, not one day, two days, three days, four days. 10 days they are in prayer, calling on the name of the Lord, waiting and praying, waiting and praying, day after day after day after day. And then it says, and then suddenly the Holy Spirit broke in and filled them. Amen. What this tells us is, listen, we need to be persistent in prayer. And here's the truth that I want you to see this morning. Listen, the, the Holy Spirit's filling is our source of supernatural spiritual power. And check this out. Listen to this. Prayer is the primary way we experience the filling of the Holy Spirit. Amen. This is how we are filled with the Spirit. It is through persistent prayer. This is what you find in the life of Jesus. Going back to those verses in Luke chapter three, check this out, Luke chapter three, verse 21. It says, now when all the people were baptized and when Jesus had been baptized, listen to this, and was praying, the heavens opened up and the Holy Spirit descended on him. So what, listen to this, as Jesus was praying, the Holy Spirit filled him. Amen. Then he leaves in Acts chapter, or Luke chapter four and he goes to the wilderness what does it say he does in the wilderness? He's tempted by the enemy, but what is he doing the entire time? He's fasting and praying. He is, he is preparing himself. Jesus did not defeat the enemy in the wilderness because he was the son of God. He defeated the enemy in the wilderness because he was fasting and praying and seeking the filling of the spirit of God. Amen. And then it says specifically after that 40 days of fasting and praying, that he came in the power of the Holy Spirit. Why? Because Jesus had spent time with the Father. He was praying and he was waiting and he was looking to the heavens to get the power that he needed to do what the Father had sent him to do. This is why it says repeatedly Jesus would uh, be as accustomed to get up early and go spend time in a quiet place alone with the Father. This is why the final hours leading up to the crucifixion, what do we find Jesus doing? Agonizing in prayer. Why? Because he understood that this is the primary way that we walk in the power of the Holy Holy Spirit. So let me just ask you this question. If this is what Jesus did, then how can the world can we think we can walk in the fullness of the Spirit without it? Wow. You see this in the book of Acts. You see God's people praying and they're filled with the Spirit. You see it in Acts in chapter 2, and then next week we're going to preach this passage. I want you to see just verse 31 of Acts chapter 4. The church has a prayer meeting, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And listen to this, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. These are the same people that are gonna be filled in Acts chapter two, now are filled again in Acts chapter four. And what's the one common denominator between both fillings? Prayer. That's good. Prayer. 
Do you realize in the book of Acts, if you go read it, the book of Acts, you do not see one major movement of the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts separate from prayer. Every major event of, the, of Acts is, is bathed somewhere in prayer and the Holy Spirit power. God doesn't do anything in the book of Acts without prayer and the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is to be the model of how we operate both individually and corporately as his people. This is why prayer meeting is so important for us. This is why each week for 6.30, for an hour and a half, we gather in this room. Why? Because the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit filling us is the only way we're gonna live this Christian life. It's the only power that we have available to do the things that God's called us to do. And prayer is the primary means by which we are filled with the Spirit. So if God wants to fill his church full of the Spirit, then why in the world would we not gather together in his presence when we see over and over and over again through the book of Acts that when God's people pray, listen, and he doesn't always do in the moment in that particular prayer meeting all the things that we want him to do. There are times like in the book of Acts where it's persistent and it's ongoing and you're chasing. That's why he says, if you seek, if you ask, if you knock, if you stay after it, what will happen? Your heavenly father who loves to give you good gifts will give you the Holy Spirit. But it's in the persistence. See, some of us have quit on prayer because God has not answered. And some of you have been praying for days and weeks and months. Some of you have been praying for years, but I'm telling you, you stay after it. And listen, the Holy Spirit will empower you to do the things that God wants you to do. And can I just tell you, there's never a moment of earnest prayer where you ask God to fill you. You may not experience some of the supernatural things that he has for you. There may be certain seasons where he is gonna manifest his presence in your life in greater ways than others. But listen to me, every time we seek the face of the Lord in prayer, wanting more of the Holy Spirit, listen, he gives us more of the Holy Spirit. Amen. And I want everything that God has for me. Amen. But listen, and we'll talk about this next week. There has never been a mighty move of God, not just in the book of Acts, but in history apart from God's people praying, not just individually, but corporately. It's never happened, not even one time. Prayer is the primary way to experience the Spirit's power. <clears throat> See, what does this look like when God's Spirit moves like this? What does that, what is, what is, what does that do in our hearts and our lives? I'm glad you asked. You may not like the answer, but I'm gonna give it to you anyway. You'll write this down if you're taking notes. The greatest evidence of a spirit-filled life is the courage to share Jesus. It's the courage to share Jesus. I get tired of hearing people always talking about their experiences with Jesus and how they have this movement of God in their life and the spirit of God and the God who's natural are these supernatural giftings of, of whatever it might be, but they don't share Jesus with people. And I'm just telling you right now, the greatest evidence of the filling of the Holy Spirit is that we will have the courage to share Jesus. Look what he happens in, in, in Acts chapter one, verse eight. This is what he tells us. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea, Samaria to the ends of the earth. And every time in the book of Acts, you see the filling of the Holy Spirit. You know what you see following the filling of the Holy Spirit? You see the advancement of the gospel through the proclamation of Jesus. Every time. Everybody say every time. Every time. Now, I want you to do something. How many of you, this is, I, 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 I did this with the early group, eight o'clock group, and they, uh, they were with me. Let's see if you're with me. All right, so not in an arrogant way. This, this, this passage of scripture, Acts chapter one, verse eight, and you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you'll be my witnesses. How many of you have heard that verse before? Raise your hand, raise your hand. Now look, if you didn't raise your hand, I just talked about it three seconds ago, all right? For crying out loud. 
Now, how many of you would, would say, and this is not in an arrogant way, but you feel like I got a pretty good grip on what that verse means? Raise your hand if that's you. Come on, be honest, be honest. Okay, some of you are like, he's gonna trick us. I know it, I'm not raising my hand. So I want you to, I wanna do something. I wanna walk you through this verse, but I wanna do something. I'm gonna do something they do a lot of times in, 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 in grammar classes and literature to help you understand sentence structure and, and how to understand the fullness of what's being written. I want you to see this multiple times, this phrase, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes to me, and you will be my witnesses. Look at this right here. I want you to see how this has works. He goes, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. Now listen to this. And you, you will be my witnesses. You know what he's saying here? Hey, when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. You will be my witnesses. When you're filled with the Spirit, you, 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 every single one of us in this room, when you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you will be my witnesses. You. That means that you, in your seats, like me, yes, you. This will happen in your life when you are filled with the Holy Spirit. This is not for the preacher, the deacon, the super spiritual, elite, all-star, varsity Christian. This is for every Christian who is filled with the Spirit. You will be a witness. Look at the next one. You will be my witnesses. You will be. Not might be, could be, should be. How do you know that you're full with the Spirit? You're gonna be a witness. Why? Because you will be. So let me just help you. If you're not being a faithful witness right now for the gospel of Christ, you're not filled with the Spirit. He might indwell you, but you're not walking in the fullness of the Spirit because what's inside of you is gonna come out of you. Every time there was a supernatural feeling of the Holy Spirit, it led to being a witness for Christ. And he said, Jesus says, why? Because you will be my witnesses. Look what he says next. You will be my witnesses. You know what that means? It ain't about you, it ain't about me. You will be my, Jesus says, listen, your, your, your life will center on me. You will be my witness. It'll all be about Jesus. It'll all be about the gospel. It'll all be about what he has done for us and not what we do ourselves." my witness. And then he says this, listen, you will be my witnesses. A witness is an eyewitness testimony. It's, a, it's the person who's seen something, they know something, and they go and they tell somebody about it. This word witness here, and this is where we get the word courageous in here. You will courageously share the gospel. This word witness in the original language is the Greek word martis. It's where we get the English word martyr. And the reason martyr is derived from this word is because most of the witnesses in the first century died martyr's death because of their testimony. In other words, there was such a supernatural power of the Holy Spirit on their life that as they began to proclaim, they were so filled with a supernatural power that they were able to say, it doesn't matter what you do to me, it doesn't matter what this costs me, you can beat me, you can lock me up, you can put me in the grave, put me in the arena, it does not matter, I know what I've seen, I know what I've heard, and there is a boldness that comes out of their life that is not natural, it is supernatural to say, it doesn't matter, I'm gonna proclaim because there's something at work in me that's greater than what you're threatening me with. Power of the Holy Spirit, giving courage to witness. Can I tell you and help you? Listen to me. I love you enough to say this. The reason some of you are not sharing your faith with your neighbor and your coworker, some of you are scared to share your faith with your own children. 
and that fear is paralyzing you and you are not being a witness, let me tell you why. You're not walking in the fullness of the Holy Spirit because when you are, there is going to be a courage in your life where you will proclaim to them in love what Jesus has done and what he wants to do in their life. It'll happen. It will happen. And what I'm praying for at New Beginnings Baptist Church What I'm asking God to do in our midst as the people of God is that he would move in our life in such a way. We're talking about seeing 500 people come to faith in Christ in a one-year span of time, starting in January 13th of 2021 to January 13th of 2022. We have seen God save 200, no, it's 301 people right now. 201. It was anticlimactic. Just lost 100 right there. And we say, how in the world? We're talking about, it's a lot of people that need Christ. There's a lot of people that we're hoping to come to faith in Christ. How in the world are we gonna reach those people? How are we gonna see? We're praying for this. We're asking God to do this. And here's what God's saying to you and me. That's awesome. Pray to the Lord of the harvest to send laborers into the field because the reason people are saved, not being saved is not because of there's an absence of gospel truth and not because of an absence of power, but because we're not walking in the gospel truth and we're not walking in power. How do we see the remainder of those 500 come to faith in Christ? Can I tell you? You will be my witnesses when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. If in this room we would just say, God, would you fill me with your spirit? I wanna empty myself of anything that would quench your work in my life. And I want you to fill me with the spirit because I got neighbors and relatives and children and parents and college roommates and people that I'm at school with. And I want them to know you and I want you to fill me and use me in this way. I'm telling you right now, you let the Holy Spirit set your heart on fire like that. We won't be able to contain the number of people who come to faith in Christ. Just in this room alone, if every one of you over the next four months only led one person to Christ, you led them to Christ, you bring them to church, baptize them, get them plugged in. If, listen, if every one of you in this room just led one person over the next four months, we would blow 500 out of the water. And we've got six services across both campuses. We're not praying for a miracle. God can do that but we have to have the Spirit fill us. So I'm gonna get you to do me a favor. I'm gonna get you to bow your heads. We're gonna worship just for a moment and just with your head bowed and your eyes closed, there are some of you in the room this morning and what you need is supernatural spiritual power, but you need the indwelling of the Spirit because you've never trusted in Jesus as your Lord and Savior. And as you've heard me preach this morning, there is a, you're feeling something in your heart like I need to trust Jesus. I need, I need what you're talking about, but I have never trusted in Jesus. You say, what is that? Well, that is what we call being cut to the heart. And some of you this morning, you've been cut to the heart and you need to trust Jesus as your Lord and Savior and come and be baptized today. Peter says to the audience that day, what do we do? He says, repent, believe in Jesus and be baptized and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. He will indwell your life. And that's the same message for those of us in this room today. I would just ask you with no one looking around, is there anybody in this room right now who would say, I need Jesus in my life. I need to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I'm uncertain if I know him. I'm gonna get you to do me a favor with no one looking around. Just just slip your hand up at me and just wave at me. You say, I need the Holy Spirit. I feel cut to the heart right now and I need a relationship with Jesus. Listen, don't be ashamed. Just lift your hand up right now. 
Just lift your hand up. Just wave at me so I can see you. Thank you. Praise Jesus. Here's what I'm gonna get you to do. If you lifted your hand, and listen, I know this is uncomfortable, but I'm gonna encourage you to do this with no one's looking around right now. If you lifted your hand, listen, this is the day of salvation for you. I wanna help you with this. If you wanna just get up from your seat right here and go to this exit on, on the left or the exit to the right, there are gonna be some people there to meet you. So right now, if you lifted your hand, don't wait. I know there has been a couple of hands raised. I wanna encourage you right now, just leave your seat. Grab the person next to you if you need to and say, hey, I need what he's talking about. The people that day, they didn't care who knew. They just wanted Jesus. And so right now, if that's you, have the courage just to stand up and go. Praise Jesus for courage. I know there's another that are here that needs to come. Just leave your seat, make your way. In a moment, we're gonna worship just for a second here. And if you raised your hand and you didn't come, then I wanna encourage you to make your way down during this one, one moment of, of worship and then we'll get out of here. But others of you in this room that know Christ, are you walking in the fullness of the Spirit? What I want you to wrestle with right now is what, what is going on in your life right now that would keep you from walking in that and pursuing the fullness of the Spirit? Confess that to the Lord as we sing and worship for a few moments today. Father, I love you and I pray now that your spirit would just move, just God, in, in, a, in a fresh way. Let us see your hand and your power at work in our life. Lord, for that two or three individuals that raised their hand but haven't moved, give them courage even now as I pray to leave their seat to come and to get this settled today. <clears throat> for those of us here that are not walking in the fullness of the spirit, may you fill us today. May you give us the full measure of who you are. We ask this in Jesus' name, amen.